So I've mentioned this a number of times before, but you know, when I first became a Christian in college, I remember not really knowing what to do in terms of reading the Bible. So my parents bought me a Bible, and one of my friends on, on campus bought me one of these study Bibles, and I knew that I should read the Bible. I heard that if I wanted to grow as a Christian, I needed to grow from hearing God's words to my life, but I didn't know where to begin or, or what that looked like as a process. So I did the tried and true method of dropping the Bible on my bed, and wherever it landed is what I believed that was God's word for me that day. That took some amazing twists and turns. I've had some very interesting Bible studies in light of that. Um, but one of the challenges with that approach, there's a hundred challenges to that approach. One of the biggest ones is assuming that the Bible was just like written to me. You know, like the Bible is written for you, but it's not written to you. I say that the Bible's written for you, like everything you need for godliness to learn to grow, we can find it in the pages of scripture, but it's not written to you. A modern person living in New York City, 2023, like the Bible was written in a much different context. So when I was just dropping the Bible on my bed and just taking whatever line was it, I was ignoring all of the context that was happening and really would have changed the way I saw scripture. Over the years, thankfully, I have abandoned the drop the Bible on the bed approach uh, towards reading scripture, and I've now sought to read the Bible in context, which means the goal of reading scripture is not what does the Bible mean to you, but what did it mean to its original audience? What would the original audience have heard when a scripture was read to them? So we want to do the hard work of making sure we are reading the Bible in context, and no week is more important than that than this week, actually, because we're coming across a piece of scripture that, at first glance, if you don't understand the context, you can take it all kinds of ways. Uh, we're in the series called Jesus Is, and in this series, we're allowing Jesus to tell us who he is. If we were to pass around a, a, a pen and pad and ask people, who is Jesus, we would get a lot of different answers of who we think he is. But Jesus fortunately gives us these seven statements in the book of John, and these are commonly referred to as the I am statements. So Jesus is telling us straight up and down who he is. So last week we did um, one, the first statement in order that Jesus is the bread of life. And this Sunday we're looking at a portion of scripture where Jesus says something that at first glance, for some people it gives you warm and tinglys. Uh, for other people, you don't understand what it means, uh, but I hope at the end of the day, we will really fully more understand what Jesus was trying to say when he said this. Jesus said that he is the light of the world. Now, what do you think of when you hear that Jesus is the light of the world? So this comes in John 8 and 12, and it says, Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, this scripture, to his original audience, would have been something that was incredibly, incredibly confrontational. So much so that just eight verses later, John lets us know another detail, that Jesus spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple, but no one seized him or no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Think about that for a second. Why was John so cautious to let us know that they didn't arrest Jesus after his sermon? 
Because what Jesus was saying was so inflammatory, it was so confrontational, that people literally wanted to put hands on him as soon as he was done speaking. Think about how offensive of a message it would need to be for you to be so mad that you want to see a preacher arrested. If you scroll through social media, you might find some of these topics. Um, But what Jesus is saying is incredibly offensive to this original crowd because Jesus, among other things, is claiming this equality to God himself. So I don't want us to miss out on what Jesus is really saying when he calls himself the light of the world. And as a preacher, I don't want to water Jesus' words down. You know? So what is Jesus talking about when he's saying he's the light of the world? Uh, A little bit of the context. Jesus is attending this thing called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, in the Old Testament and in really in Scripture, uh, you have all of these feasts that the entire children of Israel would come around and they would turn up. So they had this feast and there was a number of different things going on at the, at the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was meant to commemorate and for the children of Israel to celebrate the biggest thing that happened in their history. What happened in their history was that they were celebrating when God freed them, their people, from slavery and bondage in Egypt and eventually delivered them to their promised land. This was the biggest event in their history, and every single year they came around the Feast of Tabernacle to celebrate when God delivered them from being enslaved to freedom. So they would do a number of things during this Feast of Tabernacle. Number one, uh, they would leave their houses, and they would live in these little huts, these little thatched huts, to remember what it was like to not have a home. The second thing they would do is they would pour out water, and they would pour out water uh, as as a ritual, as an event during the feast, to remind them of how when they were dying of thirst in the wilderness, God gave them water to drink. The third thing that they did was every single night, they lit this enormous lamp in one place inside the temple. And they had a number of uh, lamps inside of it. These lamps were so huge, they could be seen from outside of the city. And then as soon as they would light the lamps, they would turn on a regaton and they would start dancing. (laughs) So this huge event celebrated by all of God's people in the center of town, in the temple, is happening. Jesus comes and says, in the middle of this event, as they're looking at this lamp, Jesus says, do you remember when God appeared to our people by cloud by day and a pillar of smoke by night, that God himself was in this light and God guided his people, God protected his people, God himself came down from heaven and inhabited this light, that God's presence himself was in this light. You remember that? Everybody's like, of course, this is what we're celebrating. Jesus says, well, I am the light. I am the light of the world. Think about this for a second. Imagine how offended you would be, and this is a much smaller example. If I said, yo, we're excited for Martin Luther King Day weekend, but check it, Martin Luther King Day weekend is really about me. Because, you know, I am the reincarnation of Dr. King like two people would remain in this church. Nobody else would stay because you'd be like, this dude really lost his mind. (laughs) It would be more offensive than me saying that. It would be more insulting if it's not true. So I don't want us to hear Jesus' words saying he is the light of the world and to get some warm and fuzzies because the original audience was so mad when Jesus said this. They were so angry that they tried to arrest him. They tried to put their hands on him. So a chapter before this, it says, Jesus was no longer teaching gently with parables. Jesus is not talking about the Good Samaritan in this one. He says, 
I am the light of the world. And Jesus is trying to make a distinction and trying to draw people. He's trying to draw you and I to choose which light we will live by. So Jesus continues to, to um, in, this, in this theme of him being the light of the world, and certainly it's confrontational. But for us, I also want us to hear it is also gracious. It's also saying that God himself has come down because we could never go up. It's saying that the nature of God himself is to come to us, not to make us work towards him. It's saying that the nature of God himself is that God listens to us, God hears us, and that when we need God, God will be there available for us. You know, shout out to my parents. Um, They've done many things for me, um, raised me and all that good stuff. And they also let me use their HBO Max account right now. (laughs) And um, one of the best documentaries on HBO Max is uh, something called The Witness. And it's it's a story about uh, Kew Gardens in 1964, about a woman named Kitty Genovese um, in Queens. And in 1964, um, they call it the witness because a crime happened and she was assaulted and eventually, unfortunately, killed. And unfortunately, in New York, this happened thousands of times, so that's not really remarkable. But what made this story so remarkable was that Kitty Genovese was attacked by her assailant. And then all of these witnesses heard everything that was happening. So she's in the middle of a very crowded neighborhood. She's screaming, lights go on, and people hear what is going on below them but then nobody comes down. Because they know if they go down, they're making themselves vulnerable. And they too could suffer the same fate that, is awaiting, that was awaiting Miss Genovese. So unfortunately, um, the assailant ran away when she started screaming, but then he realized that nobody was coming down to help. And he came back and unfortunately killed her. Now the story of scripture, of Jesus coming down to earth, of what Uh, theologians call the incarnation, that God himself came down in the person of Jesus is teaching us. Yes, Jesus is being confrontational by saying he's the light of the world, but he's also letting us know about the gracious nature of God, that God comes down, and at the risk of his life, at the cost of his life, Jesus went to the cross for us, that God will hear your screams and your cries, and that God is not the one that will sit up in heaven and, and wait idly by. God loves you enough to come down. For many of you who are new to church, you're new to faith, and you're trying to figure out which series of things that you need to do to earn your way back to God, I need you to hear this. We serve a God who has come down for you, not the other way around. And God is a good God. He wants real relationship with us. And he knows that we'll never get on our own, so he has come down for us. And his love for us, his coming down for us, is not to judge you. There's no judgment attached to his coming down for us. It's to win you back. It's to bring you back. It's to show you things. He is the light that wants to show you things that you would never know on your own. So Jesus says he is the light of the world, and I think it means a number of things for us right now. Number one, I think it means that Jesus reveals what is true. If he is the light, that means that he reveals what is true. Light has the ability to show us things that we would not ordinarily see on our own. I was getting dressed the other day to go out, for a quick, quick lunch date with my wife, and I put on a shirt, and you know, with the lights off, it looked great, like it was clean. So I turned the lights on, I saw that big stain, and I was like, I'm wearing it anyway, and we went out. <laughs> but, but light has the ability to show you things, to reveal things. You know, I'll never forget when I was in high school. Um, <laughs> when I was in high school, it was a Sunday night, and my barbershop was closed on a Monday. A lot of black barbershops are closed on Mondays. 
And I knew my hair wasn't what it needed to be. This is when I had hair. And I went in the, I went in the bathroom, turned on my Andis gray clippers to just, just try to even it out a little bit, you know what I'm saying? My hand wasn't that steady, and as I was just going, I heard the motor, and then I just heard a zzzz, one of those noises, and I saw a hair just fly past my, uh, past my face, and I touched upstairs, and I was like, man, that is not good. That's very cold. That's very cool, right? Cool to the touch. I knew it was not good, but this was the 90s. We had many things available to us, and there was this one infomercial that was going around called GLH, called Great Looking Hair. It was a spray can designed to hide bald spots. So the promise of the company to restore great-looking hair, uh, they restored neither great nor hair to my head. But I, went to, I made my way to the beauty supply store to get a can, jet black, you know what I'm saying? Uh, jet black GLH. And then that night, I sprayed it. And I'm not going to front. At first, I was like, yo, I think we can make it. My parents weren't going to let me miss school. My school didn't allow hats. So it was either like shave your head completely, I could have repped the onyx look, you know what I'm saying? I thought about that for a little bit. Or one day of GLH. So the next morning I stood with the can, 45 degree angle, you know, five to seven feet away from it, no open flames, and I sprayed GLH on top of that spot. And then I said, you know what, I think this might work. I go to school, I'm walking in the, like, the corner of the hallway so nobody can see me. And for a couple of periods, I was making it. I got to Spanish class, and the sun was setting. <laughs> and a beam of sun just like shone on my head. And all I heard was, what in the world? <laughs> I tried to just look forward, like, they're not talking about me. They're not talking about me. And, they were, and this guy behind me was like, yo, did your house burn down? Is your, were you in a fire? Like, did, is your head singed? Like, what is going on with your hair? I cut the rest of school that day. I just left, just picked up my stuff and, and left. What would have been fine in the shadows was no longer fine in the light. Light has a way of really revealing stuff about ourselves that we would rather not see. But light shows us what, what is really happening, right? There's, there's multiple ways that you can learn about the nature of a tree. You could be riding your bike at night and you could have no lights and you can run into a tree and hurt yourself. And that was, that's one way of learning about what a tree is like. Or you can go out in the sunlight and look at a tree, then you can observe it, then you can see what it's like, what it, what it looks like and all those different things. When Jesus calls himself the light of the world, he is saying, I reveal what is true. Now, this is really, really important because a lot of us have theories and fears about who, what God is like. In scripture, when, when Jesus says he's the light of the world, he is saying, regardless of what your fears say that God is like, Regardless of what culture or anybody says God is like, if you want to know what God is truly like, look at me, because I reveal what is true. In Colossians 1 and 15, one of my favorite scriptures, it says this, Jesus is the image, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Which means, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He is the one that reveals what is true. I have a number of fears, real fears in my life. Um, one of the real fears I have is that God is tired of me. And if he's not tired of me yet, he's going to get tired of me soon. 
And I think that Jesus, my fear, honestly, is that God is not patient, that God demands from Jordan, that God is not understanding of my weaknesses, that God expects from me more than I can do or that I will do, that God looks at me even though I might have the maturity of a 12-year-old and God demands 40-year-old maturity from me. And one of my real fears, honestly, is that God gets tired of me and um, that's something that many people also can feel, that when you make a mistake, when you mess up, when you drift away from God, you just feel like, man, I don't want to, I can't pray. I can't pray because I got to just go and pray and I know God is tired of even me saying the same thing over and over again. Not just that, not just that, but I don't know if anybody in this room, I might be by myself, who has done something that you said you would never do. Uh, You might have judged other people out loud for doing something, and then one day you find yourself having done that thing. And it makes you feel full of shame. It makes you feel like God wants nothing to do with you. But check this out. The fear that I have that God is tired of me, that God doesn't walk alongside with me, that God is not patient with me, that fear is dispelled when I look at Jesus, who shows us what truth is really. You know, one of my favorite stories of scripture, one of the reasons that I feel like I'm still a Christian is a story about a, a man named Peter. And Peter was one of Jesus's closest disciples. Peter had high highs and low lows. So one of Jesus, one, of, uh, one night, actually the night before Jesus was going to be crucified, Jesus goes to Peter and in love, he says, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter was like, absolutely not. There's no way in the world I'm going to do that. Other people might do that, Jesus, but me, I would never do that. And that morning before the rooster crowed three times, Peter had denied him three times. Scripture says what Peter did next is what I often want to do. Peter ran away. He believed that God would have nothing to do with him because of his failures, and they were real failures. Peter goes away, and Jesus, in a display of what God is really like, Jesus goes after Peter. Jesus pursues the, fail, the failure. Who else does that? Jesus pursues Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? Jesus' reinstatement of Peter was not to hold his feet to the fire of what he had done, but to remind him of the love that he wanted to have for him. When you fail, and you will fail multiple times, we serve a God who will not let you run away. He'll come after you in love, in grace, because he is the light of the world that has come after us. He shows us what, real, what God is truly like. He is God in the flesh, and if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. I have another fear, uh, and this usually is revealed in my life whenever life hands me some cards that I wish I didn't have to play. When life is just more difficult than, when I look around, it's more difficult than other people. Uh, it's when you are in a season of suffering, my first inclination is to believe that God is against me. That if God loved me, then he would not be letting these things, these things happen in my life. So surely God must be against me. You know, but when I look at the person of Jesus, I see that in his nature and in his character, sometimes Jesus lets really difficult and terrible things happen to people that he loves. Now, philosophers and theologians have talked about the problem of human and evil evil and suffering for thousands of years, and it's one of the most debated and complex topics in scripture, but I can tell you this one thing. So I, I can't tell you everything about why do people suffer, but I can say this. 
I know the answer is not because God doesn't love you. Because there's one scripture where Jesus is uh, with his disciples, and it says, it refers to one of the disciples as the disciple that Jesus loved. And it's talking about a man that would eventually, in the next coming years, be exiled to, a, to the island of Patmos and go through some of the most incredible suffering and really torture in his life. And when I read that scripture and I read that this was the man that Jesus loved, when I was going through difficulties in life, I realized and it hit me like a, like a bag of bricks that Jesus, I don't know the reason why it is that I'm suffering in life right now, but I do know it's not because you don't love me. And I think what Jesus reveals to us in scripture is what God is really like. If you find yourself in a situation right now that life is heavy, where you feel like you just got caught by an uppercut out of the blue, know that it's not because God doesn't love you. And Jesus proves that to us in the way we see him in scripture. So number one, Jesus is, he reveals what is true. He reveals what is true about God. Whatever fears you have about God, whatever predispositions you have, it is um, best understood what God is like when we see it in the person of Jesus. Number two, uh, Jesus is our guide. So what light does is really light, light guides us. And this is a really confrontational piece by Jesus when Jesus says, he doesn't say like, hey, I'm one of the lights in the world. You should probably choose me if you really want to move ahead um, at a better pace in life. Jesus says he is the light of the world, which is really a controversial thing of saying it's me or it's darkness. And that rubs my pride the wrong way because Jordan likes to believe that I'm pretty good without Jesus. If you add Jesus, then I'm unstoppable. You know what I'm saying? I'm a movement by myself, but we are force, but we're together. <laughs> So what Jesus is saying is, um, you and I cannot navigate life without him. Again, so this is at the Feast of Tabernacles. Everybody would have understood Jesus to be talking about uh, himself and equating himself to God himself who has come down. And this is what it says in Exodus 13. Uh, this is talking about the children of Israel when they're in the wilderness. It says, they set out from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. So you have to rewind and really understand uh, the context of what Jesus is saying here. The children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, they had no idea where they were going without the cloud. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, without me, it's darkness. And in some ways, man, this is really what faith is. It's responding to Jesus's invitation to follow him. And check this out. It's not to follow him so that Jesus would give you a manual and give you the 13-step plan of what's going to happen in your life. When Jesus talks about he is the light of the world and he wants you to follow him, you're just following him to the next step, which means Jesus will call you to a place of obedience and you have no idea how it's going to resolve itself. That is the scariest thing in the world, that God calls us to move in faith, to trust him, even when we don't know everything that's going to happen. In the, children of, in, the, uh, in the book of Exodus, when the Lord went ahead of them every single day, he was not telling them where they were going in 30 days. He was telling them where we're going in 30 seconds. So here's the thing. A lot of times... I talk to people at Renaissance, and they say, man, pastor, 
I want you to pray for me. And people might not say this to me today after service, but they say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. And my first response is, okay, great. Are you praying for clarity or are you praying for courage? Because a lot of times we already know what God is calling us to do. We just don't have the courage to do it yet. So Jesus calls himself the, the, uh, the light of the world. Many times, we all know, if we were honest with ourselves, we know what the next step is, but oftentimes we're paralyzed because we haven't seen the next two steps and five steps beyond that, and we don't want to move until we can get a little bit more clarity about where this might take us. One of my favorite books talks about just this one leadership principle of shoot bullets, not cannonballs, and he was referring to uh, the Civil War back in the day when you know an army would have like 12 cannonballs and they would have like a thousand bullets. And what he says is, and this is meant to liberate us, what he says is, you should always make immediate action, but it doesn't have to be the most drastic action of shooting a cannonball. So what the armies would do is they would shoot bullets in the directions, and once they realized that this was gaining traction, this is where the enemy was, that's when they would really load up and shoot the cannonballs in that direction. When Jesus calls us to follow him, many times, it's, called, it's calling us to make immediate decision, but it doesn't have to be the cannonball of life. You know what I'm saying? Like with your job, with, re, with your relationships, it doesn't always have to be the immediate, it might be a cannonball sometimes, but it doesn't always have to be this immediate drastic thing. But God is calling you to start making the set steps, small steps in following him immediately, to shoot bullets in a direction of faithfulness and following him, even if you don't know where it's going to lead you. So one of my main goals as a pastor is to unstick people and for people to not be, have analysis paralysis of where things are going to go. When Jesus calls himself the light of the world, he's saying, I want to lead you. And the best way to know what step three is, is by following step one and step two. And eventually, God is faithful and he will show us the way. But God is not interested in giving you guidance. God wants to do guidance in your life. Now, I don't know you. I don't know all your stories. Uh, I don't know what it is that God might be calling you to do right now, but I do know this. There are invitations for all of us to do something. This is one scripture, I love it, where Jesus is talking to these, uh, the religious leader, and he's like, yo, wait, 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 everybody keeps on calling me Lord. Why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I tell you to do? Like, you keep on giving me all these high titles, but you're not actually doing what I want you to do. So there's an invitation for many of us right now in this room. I don't know what it is. For some of you, it's to start counseling. And you're afraid of what people might think of you, your family might say of you if you start. Take a step in that direction. You don't need to plan out the next 10 years, but you do need to take that first step. For others of you, you're in relationships that you know you got no business being in right now. And it's not to make a whole life plan, but to make the first step towards liberation and following Jesus faithfully. For your generosity, you don't have to give uh, 100% of your income tomorrow, but it would mean taking a small step of generosity today. God is calling us to follow him very actively. Point number three, um, actually, back up to this. Uh, when Jesus calls himself the light of the world, it's also really, really good news to people who have no idea what's going on, right? So in our church, one of the things that I get a chance to do uh, is to walk alongside people who are going through difficult moments. And one of the biggest challenges when life really does hit you sometimes and blindsides you is you just feel like you have no idea what's next. You have no idea what to do next. And oftentimes that's probably one of the most sad things about where you might find yourself right now is you just don't know what's next. If Jesus is the light of the world, the good news is you don't have to figure that out. 
all you have to do, man, here's the beauty about light. All light needs is brokenness. All light needs to get through is some brokenness to get through. And many times the brokenness that we're experiencing is the way that God wants to access us in our lives. So the good news for you, if you find yourself in a difficult place, is that you don't need to know what's going on. You don't need to know the next step. Jesus will, will guide you. And we'll talk about this a lot more when we talk about Jesus being our good shepherd. Uh, God has not left us. Scripture says in, the, in, the, in Exodus that the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. Jesus is a good shepherd, and he will never, never leave, the, leave us or forsake us. Last point. Uh, Jesus, first, is he reveals what is true. Number two, Jesus is our guide. And number three, Jesus calls us to walk in the light. The biggest obstacle to Jesus' beautiful, brilliant sunlight is my competing candlelight. I oftentimes prefer about to walk by my own, the dimness of my own candlelight than to walk by, really, Jesus, because, quite frankly, I don't know where his light is going to take me. And to be honest, sometimes I'd prefer this to go my way. Jesus says this in verse 12. Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but, have, but will have the light of life. What Jesus is getting at a little bit is that in order for his light to be effective in your life, you have to be close to it. In order for Jesus' light to be effective to you, you have to be close to it, which is why it's tied to us following him. Now, in just a minute, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to end with about 30 seconds of silence for us to, to ask God to discern what is his invitation to us now? What is that next step for us? Over the years, I've really misunderstood discipleship, and I'm, I'm getting a better handle on what it means to follow Jesus. And over the years, I've, I've learned that what it means to follow Jesus as a disciple is obedience to the next step. That's it. Obedience to the next step of whatever God is calling you to do. So Jesus calls us to walk in the light uh, and to take that next step of obedience to follow him wherever he will take us. So we're going to have about 30 seconds of silence where we're going to listen to the invitation. We're going to ask God to speak to us about where he wants to take us. What is the next step for us? By God's grace, we will take a step in that direction. Jesus, our light, Jesus, our great light, Lord, we pray for you to light up the paths of our lives. We pray that you would show us where it is that you want us to go, not 10 years from now, but 10 seconds from now. Jesus, we pray for great courage to be willing to follow you wherever it is that you want to take us, trusting that you are good and you are, you are gracious. And also believing, Lord, that without you, we have no light in ourselves. So, Jesus, we pray that you would diagnose and lead and be gentle with us as we seek to follow you more faithfully. We pray that you would forgive us of the ways that we have sought to follow ourselves and have followed ourselves. 
So Jesus, may you be truly the light that guides us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.